You know, there's a verse in that last song that we sang, uh, and thank you, choir, for your amazing ministry to us in music today. But in uh, the song, Send the Light, one time I was getting ready to preach years ago, and the pastor introduced me, and he said, because we had just sung that song, he said, Dr. Idol, maybe you can tell us what does the word waft mean? So I, he was trying to be funny, and so I, I got up, and I, it's just one of those moments. I, I wish I was always able to be funny like this, but he, I, sorry, didn't mean to predispose you to need to laugh. I don't have a laugh monitor up here, but, uh, but I said, well, Pastor, I thought everybody knew that the waft is what the little boy wowed out onto the waves. <laughs> So we had a good laugh at that. Well, I'm so happy to be here and to be with the Mills family again and to get to meet so many of you. And uh, Tommy Fountain, uh, I told him he looks a whole lot like his dad used to look because I met Tommy Fountain Sr., except he's taller than his dad, it seems. So, uh, so glad to meet him as well as having in years past met and known his dad. Uh, amazing set of families. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the amazing way you guys uh, attended through the duration of our events uh, last night. And hopefully you didn't feel like it was eternity already in there. But uh, thank you for staying uh, listening, tuned in to the Word of God, because, you know, that's the only thing that will not wither or fade, is the Word of God will endure forever. So, having said that, turn with me to part of it this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. And as we prepare for that, I'd like to ask you to Pray with me for a moment. And if you don't mind, I just invite you to say with me one word. Yes, or two words. Yes, Lord. Would you say that? Yes, Lord. Father, thank you. We know the answer. Help us to better understand this morning the questions you are posing to our hearts. And we know the answer will be, yes, Lord. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't usually just carry around a chunk of concrete. It looks like it's part of the interstate or something when you look at it real close. If you didn't know the context out of which this rock comes, you'd have, you'd just think, I, I was afraid actually that the TSA agents might think if I'd have had a slingshot with it that I was going to try to commandeer the plane yesterday. <laughs> but they didn't bug me about it. Um, uh, they're more concerned these days it seems with computers than they are. This is old technology, so <laughs> uh, Stone Age technology. But uh, I had a student years ago whose father was in the military, and they were living in what, what was then West Germany. 
And he told me that he brought me, because he got a bucket full of it, pieces of the Berlin Wall. I keep that on my desk to remind me of the context in which I understood the Berlin Wall. You see, four months prior to the Berlin Wall coming down, I was at an international missions conference in Manila in the Philippines. It was the Lausanne 1989 Congress. Dr. Stott was there, and he actually wrote the Manila Manifesto and that was presented to us there. And um, so I was getting in a taxi to go back to the hotel from the convention center, and I shared a cab. Uh, Uber didn't exist then, uh, but I shared a cab with uh, an East Berlin pastor. Now, his English was far more advanced than my German at the time, at least. And uh, I don't know, I just, I just thought to him... Uh, I, I was seated in the front, and he was in the back, and I said, uh, Brother, will you guys ever be free to share the gospel in East Germany and East Berlin? And I thought he was going to pull me in the back seat with him. He reached up, grabbed my shoulder, pulled me around face to face. I mean, I thought... It reminded me of my second grade teacher at first when I had just shot a spitwad. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to be severely disciplined. And in a way, I guess it was an exhortation because he said, pray with us, brother. And I said, okay, pray for what? And he said, my home is within 10 meters of the Berlin Wall. And he said, every Monday night now for 10 years, believers have gathered in my home about 9.30 each evening when they can quietly come into our home. He said, we have a house full and we're on our faces all night long beseeching the throne of God with one objective that that wall will come down. Now this is in July of 1989. So I, I quietly, you know, said to myself, yeah, fat chance, buddy. Uh, that's not going to happen in your lifetime or mine. Now, I didn't say that to him, but that's what I was thinking. And four months later, November 1989, I was watching on television, and all of a sudden they interrupted everything. You know how they, everything now is breaking news, by the way, but that was breaking news. When it showed all the floodlights, and in Berlin, the German youth crawling all over that wall, and with pickaxes and hammers and tearing down that wall. Well, all the political pundits for who knows how long, probably still are, analyzing exactly what it is sociologically, politically, internationally that brought that wall down. 
Now, while God may have used the fingers and the hands of certain momentums in human history to bring it down, it surprised everybody. Uh, as we understand it, even military intelligence and people like that were surprised and shocked by it. But it made me realize that there was another unseen hand in bringing that wall down. And that was prayer. The power of prayer. You know, we live in such a fast food, quick, scrolling Facebook page society that sometimes when we think about it, we'll basically say rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. And that's the upshot of our prayer life. And I stand in the front of the line. I have to admit, I get so busied with life that I, too, neglect my duties for my own spiritual perceptions of things in prayer. Well, even the Apostle Paul is beckoning the Ephesians and then through their experience to our ears this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, he instructs us regarding prayer. Since this is a send or sent weekend focus, lest we go not believing that God can and will send us, and that all the answers can't be seen, but only that unseen hand that tears down walls in lives can send us with effect. Unless we bathe the process in prayer, then we best not set out in going. And prayer should accompany us every day, all along the way. One time Billy Graham was asked, to what do you attribute the great anointing of God on your ministry? And he said one word, prayer. So this morning, let's see what people like Billy Graham, but yet going back to the New Testament period, what the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians. Now, you'll recall that in Ephesians chapter 6, he's winding down through verse 9 a, a set of instructions about different facets because it's spinning out of Ephesians 4.1 where, as you know, of Paul's practice, he lays out in Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Romans, etc., his pattern of thought almost is the same, and that is that the first part of the book lays out the great and glorious theology of God. Then he pivots and he applies it for us. So Ephesians 4.1 says, and that's the second applicative part of this book, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So we see unfolded for us coming to the end of the book what walking to the glory of God and according to our calling actually means. 
What does it draft out to look like? And he's rounding up, showing us the battle that we are in. And he says, recognize this, that, that it is principalities and powers of the air that we fight against. We are known in the world as Satan America by the radical Muslims that might be set on demolishing the satanic West, and we're the epitome of that. So there are real evil forces in this world. There was an evil force that built that wall, and if you think about it, the wall was not to keep all the millions of people that wanted to rush into East Berlin. Well, here you have it great over here. No, it was keep people in. How would you like to be prisoner in your own city? So, we, we war against those kinds of powers and authorities. And Paul is addressing that, and he gives us this whole list of armor that was typical and understood in the first century wherever Rome had, was occupying people's locations and geography. And he's picking apart and symbolizing each piece of the armor. And he comes down to verse 17 and he says, finally, take up the helmet of salvation. And, and this is the only offensive tool that he notes. The rest are all defensive mechanisms for the Roman soldier. And he says, the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Now that sword concept is very important in the next three verses. We're going to be looking at verses 18, 19, and 20. And here's kind of the way the outline will flow. First of all, in verse 18, he gives us some general instruction regarding the value and how to engage prayer. But then in verse 19, he mentions specific elements to pray for him about, which in an enlarged way would be applicable for our lives, though we're not doing exactly the same things that he is doing in this passage. And then verse 20, he actually renders to us his credentials. Why is it that I can instruct you on these things? So let's look at verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice the all-inclusiveness, all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints. So there's a wide distribution of application of what he is saying here. And he's saying these things tying it to the sword of the Spirit. It's a, like it's an onflow of that stream of thought. That how is it we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Well, of course, we need to do what the psalmist tells us, and that is to hide his word in our heart that I might not sin against thee. We need to have our sword at the ready. Now, I don't mean to wield it in some butchering way. We don't, we don't need to slash and burn our way through society. 
But a choice, like Proverbs says, a choice word spoken in the right moment is healing to the heart. Brother David mentioned you might be here this morning and feel like you're dead inside. There was a time that I was. I mentioned last night, some of the young people will recall that I actually thought I was going to be more than just intellectually and spiritually dead. I was going to physically die because I was robbed at gunpoint. It brought me to the awareness when I was 16 that I needed eternity and needed to understand these very principles of the gospel that Paul lived out. So this sword of the Spirit, this, this right word in the right moment is energized. It's brought to the surface. It's fulfilling because of verse 18, praying always. There is a constancy in prayer. It's an elaboration of how that sword's power is released. You remember that Hebrews tells us that the power of the Word of God is, li- is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut even to the joining of bone and marrow. That's pretty deep. You can't coerce it. You can't dream up a strategy. You can't formulize it, though we do all those things. The only thing that can unleash that power is the Word of God. And the way it is unleashed is on the heels of the prayers of the people of God. You know, it's been said that the army of the Lord advances on its knees. That's definitely proven to be the case in that pastor's life in East Berlin. And I've learned from that myself. So it says pray always, constant. Um, I use a Mac, but every now and then it tells me I need to upgrade my OS. Operating system. Because every time you turn the computer on, when you've got the machine on, somehow that operating system is always working. It's always on. So if we view this in a more modern sense, applicatively, then what we're actually coming to understand is that this is an always-on activity. You don't have to come to the church only to pray. You don't have to pray only at midnight when you're going to bed. You can pray or be in an attitude of prayer consistently and constantly throughout the day. Now, if you always pray out loud as you're walking along, today people just think you're talking on your cell phone. (laughs) Um, But be always on. And when they see no cell phone, you're talking to God. You can tell them, hey, I'm talking to God. All right. Well, good. Tell me about that. The power of praying. Praying always, consistently, constantly, operating system always switched on with all prayer and supplication. Two types of prayer, two levels of prayer, two different Greek terms. One means, in a generic sense, just really praying for the things that impact and affect our lives. 
so that we may walk in a manner worthy of his calling. Chapter 4, verse 1. But now he also adds the term supplication. Very specific needs, which he is going to give us some of those needs in the next verse that he has. Parallel those with our own lives. What are the barriers that are holding me back from walking in a manner worthy of my calling? Is it the things I think? Some of the things I say? Some of the things I do? To what extent am I conforming to the image of Christ? You know, there's a point in Corinthians where Paul sounds very arrogant because he says to the Corinthians, which were no rosy lot of ideal Christians, okay? He says, uh, be ye imitators of me. If it stopped right there, that would sound braggadocious. But you know, he continues and he says, even as I also imitate Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, when you see Jesus' character, his life, his spirit's gifting, his grace lived out in my daily walk, imitate that. And we all are in some way to be that example to those around us. So what Paul is saying is pray for those barriers to come down, to unleash that spirit. He moves on. He says, again, he mentions the spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit in congruity with the character and the essence of God. There's a particular construction here that leaves off either a definite article or an indefinite article. It's just the word, spirit. That's a reference. You see it capitalized in some of the translations to the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Uh, I don't think the more common rendering of understanding is true where you have to have some ecstatic experience, nothing farther from the truth, because all we see in the meditation of our minds on Scripture is always content-oriented. We are to reflect, we are to meditate, we are to think through the implications of the truth of God. And as we pray, it means an earnest essence of just transparency before the Lord. And he says, being watchful to this end, to be on guard. My stepfather was in the Second World War, D-Day plus two, he was fond of saying. He was a combat engineer, and he had a good friend when, in later in life, and I got to meet this guy, and they would sit down and like, combat vets would do and talk about their shared experiences of that era, World War II generation. And this friend was in military intelligence during that time, and he told a story at the table that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said that he was carrying a top-secret briefcase, and he switched cars several times in and out of London, 
and was transported out into the western part of England. And this is just before the Normandy invasion in 1944. And he said that he goes out in the middle of nowhere. He has no idea where he's going. They drive him out there. And finally they came up on this compound and it was layered with triple barbed wire fencing and they had sentries patrolling each of the fence lines. Electric even. And he said that every sentry was oddly carrying something, had rifle over shoulder and was carrying a grenade. And you know how the grenade, you have to let go of the, pull the pin and let go of the handle, throw it. If you've ever seen a movie, <laughs> you probably have seen that happen. Well, as long as you compress that handle, it's not going to explode. So for their whole period of guard duty, they had to walk holding that handle. If you let it go, it's going to blow. So what was that for? It was to keep them very alert because it was top secret what was going to happen in there. So he goes through all these checks and security clearances and they get him in there and he's carrying this briefcase and he's supposed to take it to one of the commanding generals that's in the room. And he was just so amazed. He, he told my stepfather, he said, you know, George, I, I never saw so much brass in one room in my life. And he said, all of a sudden, the front table, all the big generals, Eisenhower, Marshall, the rest, came out, the Allied commanders, and they pulled a big curtain back, and on the map was the invasion plan for Normandy. So those sentries had a very important job though they probably never got in that room. They never saw what it was they were guarding. You know, we don't have to always know what God's ultimate aim and outcome might be. Our job is to be praying to those ends and to trust Him to unfold those purposes. So he says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. In other words, don't let go of the grenade handle. Your job is to guard, guardedly, watchfully pray. Intercede with supplication. This is a very specific set of intercessory prayers for all the saints. So this is why it's important to know things, not for gossip purposes, but for intercessory purposes. To pray for the saints, for all saints. Get prayer letters from missionaries. Get, get uh, information that you can use as grist for the prayer mill. Wear out your knees. I was in China once. And I met a man who had been a 90-something-year-old Christian, in and out of prison many, many times. He said when he was a young man, he got to meet Waming Dao, the great Chinese evangelist of an earlier generation. 
And he was a young man then, back in the 1930s, he was the man talking to me. And he said that Waming Dao, when asked, how do you explain the power of your ministry? He reached over, put his teacup down, reached over, grabbed this fellow's hand, and rubbed his knee with that guy's hand. Yeah, just met this guy. <laughs> A little strange. Uh, but he said, what do you feel, son? And he said, it feels hard, calloused. He said, the answer to it is prayer. Now, this guy had been in and out of prison. He had amazing testimonies of enduring through the Cultural Revolution in China and all that goes with that. And he said, I said to him, Pastor Yu, what do you attribute your power to? And he took my hand, placed it on his knee. He said, what do you feel? With all perseverance for all the saints. Look then what he says to pray for him about. And for me, that utterance, the right word spoken in the right moment, may be given to me. We don't have to have a memorized script to win people to the Lord. We just have to have a heart that's been changed. And to speak it. In season or out that I may open my mouth boldly, not rudely, not abruptly, but boldly. Because even in his day, the tendency was to shy and shrink away. And here's what my purpose is. Pray for this. This is the end I want you to pray for this saint about that I'll speak boldly the choice words of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, the revelation of God to people's minds and hearts. And then he explains to us his credentialing for this, verse 20. For which I am an ambassador. Well, that's kind of an accolade. Ambassadors show up under new appointments from presidents to represent the United States. And they usually come with some sort of endorsement letter, some sort of appointment letter as a credential to present their credentials to the head of state. And Paul is one of those ambassadors. But his credential is a little different. It's a chain. You see, he's in prison. He said, this is my credibility that I am willing to speak the mystery of the gospel even if it costs me my life, which eventually it did. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may, here he says again, speak boldly as I ought to speak. Remember, he says in Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling as we ought. Here's this ought factor. My grandmother used to say, because she could remember the turn of the last century, she says, oh yeah, back in ought eight, ought used to be a mathematic term for zero. 
Well, that's not what he's talking about here. Ought means an inner compulsion, a drivenness. This sword of the Spirit is activated and released, and it's released through the chemical reaction, spiritually speaking, of prayer. Beseeching the throne of God. C.S. Lewis once said when he was confronted about his views on prayer, and he said, he said, Clive, his friend said, Clive, Clive Stapleton Lewis, C.S. Lewis, he said, uh, do you earnestly think that prayer changes things? And Lewis's reply was, prayer changes me. Maybe that's what God is wanting us to keep in mind. What can motivate the people to go into those places like Paul would go? Well, on March 15, 2004, four of your Southern Baptist missionaries drove into Mosul, Iraq, ancient Nineveh. One of them, my former student, was her pastor, and he provided this to me. Her name was Karen Watson. You can look it up, Baptist Press, so on. She wrote a letter about a year before the events happened March 15, 2004. They had just come back as new newbies in the context from a U.S. military briefing on safety and security, which the first one of those they had already violated without realizing it. They all came to the meeting in the same car. So the three of them were sitting in the back and two of them in the front, and Karen was on the outer back door on the driver's side, and all of a sudden windows are down, it's hot, you know, they're driving back. They said, well, we won't do that again. True words were not ever spoken. So along beside them came a motorcycle, tossed a grenade in the front, and with an Uzi riddled the outside of that vehicle. Three of the four died. Two right on the scene. One died shortly thereafter while he was on the cell phone to the IMB telling them what had happened. He expired. The one in the middle back seat actually survived. She, just a few years ago, graduated from Southwestern. You may remember her. And she's remarried now. But Karen Watson was one of those who died. This pastor student of mine said, Dr. Idle, I want to sh send you a copy of that letter. Because when, you know, she's going off to the mission field, they're celebrating it. And he said, Karen, don't think, because she had written on there, don't open unless you get word that I've died. So she went thinking, there's a very real possibility I'll never come back. She was that abandoned for the purpose of God in her life. So he had thrown the letter in the safe, forgot about it. Then he remembered 2 a.m. after getting the phone call where that was. He got up, got dressed, went straight down to the church, opened that vault, and opened the letter. Here is a portion of what it said. A little poem that she felt led to write. The missionary heart cares more than some people think wise. 
risks more than some people think is safe, dreams more than some people think is practical. Dreaming here doesn't mean dream in sleep. It's meaning vision. Expects more than some people think is possible. And then she says, but I was called not to comfort nor to success, but to obedience to God. And she said in the closing, there is no joy outside of Jesus and serving him. And to show you how she was still part of the Western world, she says, P.S., the printer was down. So sorry for the handwriting. Uh, But she's in a grave tonight, today. But she went knowing that she was going to live as long as it was or as short as it was to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. Would you bow your head this morning? The team will come and assemble for prayer, I mean for singing. Pastor Mills and the other staff who are involved with the altar call will be here to receive you. We will be earnestly praying for you. We don't know again what your circumstance is, but are you living life driven and tossed to and fro by every wind of media? Are friends, people, others dictating to you? As Paul says, is the world squeezing you into its mold? Unchain yourself. Paul was in chains, but it was chained for the right reason. Be chained to Christ, whatever the cost. And it is a costly call. Can be. Because you know what? It costs more than you can do. You can't be righteous enough. You can't be good enough. You can't pay for anything. You can't control your way to God. God had to come for you. And all you have to do is open the door of your heart. That's called faith. Repent. Recognize that you've tried to control your life and you've made a mess of it. And trust Christ and Him alone to save you. It's like you're in a rough, tumultuous sea and there's only one place to cling to and it's the foot of the cross. Reach for Him this morning. Give your heart and mind to Him. Maybe you're already a believer. You want to recognize, though, that you've fallen back and lapsed into those cycles of worldliness. You maybe just want to come and pray here at the front this morning just to privately get refocused and walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Or perhaps you're sensing over this weekend of emphasis that God's actually calling you to next steps. You have no idea what all that means. But as we said at the beginning of the message, Yes, Lord. 
We know the answer. We don't have to have all the fine print and the bottom line. We don't consider God's contract. We sign on the dotted line and trust Him to then show us each step of the way as life's journey unfolds, wherever that may lead. Do you need to give your heart to the calling of God this morning to be a missionary, to be a full-time vocationally involved, to, to surrender your plans, maybe even the plans of other people that they've imposed on you, and you will surrender all to invite Christ to be Lord of your life, even to the point of governing the trajectory of your life and your ministry. Give yourself to Him. Maybe you are actively involved in other ways, but you should renew your sensitivity to pray without ceasing, to intercede, and to let the sword of the Lord go forth in prayer, in all ways, in all times. And ask God for boldness every day. I pray every morning just about, Lord, bring someone to me today that needs the Lord. And Lord, awaken my sensitivities so that I'll recognize that. And then, Lord, give me the boldness to speak. 